Hi, everyone. This is David Cohen, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Brad Feld. Hey, Brad. And this is the Give First podcast. And in the startup world, Give First means simply trying to help anyone, especially entrepreneurs, without any expectation of getting anything back. So we'll be talking to mentors and founders about what Give First looks like in action and how it makes great entrepreneurship possible. We polled everyone and they said consistently that their favorite part of the show was the legal mumbo jumbo. So here it is. The following discussion is an expression of personal opinion and does not represent the opinion of Techstars or any company we discuss. Our conversations for informational purposes only, including any mention of securities or funds. This is not legal business investment or tax advice and is not intended for use by any investor. Certain of Techstars funds own or may own in the future securities and some of the companies discussed in this podcast. Got it? Welcome to another episode of Give First. I am very excited to have two close friends uh, here today. We work very closely together at SendGrid. Jim and Denise Franklin joining us. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. So we often just have one guest at a time, but we're just going to make this work. And I think it's really cool to have you both. Would love to just start with a little quick background for those that might not know each of you. So maybe Denise, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I moved to Boulder in 1998, pretty much fresh out of college with a liberal arts degree, very practical majors in uh, philosophy and English, and moved here with no idea what I was going to do. And it really very much accidentally fell into the startup scene. I answered an ad in the newspaper for a position at email publishing. And uh, I was just excited because I was like, email's cool. I like email. Yeah, when I went to interview for the position, I was just immediately hooked. The culture, there was a dog in the office. There were Skittles in the kitchen. I was 24. People were wearing flip-flops. Yeah, so I joined email publishing and that became message media. I kind of rode that through the dot-com craziness. After that, I joined, was recruited to join Atlas Software, the makers of SketchUp. And that was a fun ride. I ended up doing a ton of different positions there, but ultimately running international operations and sales. We were eventually acquired by Google. That's why Google has a presence in Boulder now, actually. And I didn't like Google. There were only 5,000 employees at the time, but as kind of a startup person, it just felt giant to me and my kind of scope of authority got microscopic overnight and I hated it. So I quit. No Skittles there, I'm guessing. It's probably another problem. Yeah, you know what? Actually, <laughs> more Skittles than I could ever eat in my lifetime, but it just wasn't enough. <laughs> and then I actually ended up joining a subsidiary of Logitech in Fremont, California, and tele- telecommuting there. And it was a good position, good job, as I learned a lot. I was managing sales and, and marketing for North America, but learned I hated hardware. Um, and kind of kept my pulse on the startup scene in Boulder and was asked by a common friend to be a mentor to, to Isaac Saldana in the very early days of Singrid. He was doing some international sales and this mutual friend thought he could use some help. So I ended up mentoring Isaac for a few months and he eventually asked me to join the executive team running sales and business development. And that was in 2010. <laughs> and now I'm would say retired, but an LP and a lot of uh, VC funds around town and still do a lot of mentoring and meeting startup people. So basically it goes very career SendGrid. There's a little gap in the story with something great happened at SendGrid, I guess. And now you're semi-retired and (laughs) you're an LP and a bunch of funds. I got it. So that Um, went well at SendGrid, it sounds like. It did. I might might circle back to that one too. Um, But yeah, yeah, I had a great ride at SendGrid. Super fun experience and great exit. My memory is you were, I don't know what employee number, but it had to be single digits. Do you remember? 
Yeah, I think I think it was like five. Yeah. Um, I was definitely the first non-technical person on the team. So I'm the first business-minded person to join. I remember that and, and sort of being so excited to have that background because you had built a bunch of channel distribution strategies. And at the time, I think we thought for SendGrid that'd be really important. And of course, ended up partnering with a bunch of platforms and things. So amazing that that was 10 plus years ago. Gosh, time flies. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Jim, uh, maybe we'll get a little background from you as well. You bet. I think it starts in college. I studied accounting, passed a CPA, but didn't want to be an accountant. So I went to law school, didn't like that. So I went to the MBA program, did a JD MBA. And in the MBA, I learned about venture capital. And I thought, wow, I love business. I love chaos. I don't like being bored. I want to do something in the VC world. I also like triathlons. And so I moved to Boulder after school to do something in VC and in triathlons and had to do an SFM job for a while. I'm not sure what you can say on this podcast, but stands for a shit for money job uh, down in Denver. Uh, you can say that. I'll allow I'll say, it. I'll say it was an SFM job. It was actually working for a guy who was a real estate investor and helping him repurpose some capital towards startups, which he didn't actually do. But really found my home at Rocky's Venture Club. And I spent the next 20 years in one shape or another and volunteering with Rockies, doing everything from memberships and sponsorships and Caudill Capital Conference, chairman, treasurer, became president and then past president of Rockies. It was a real good vehicle for being in the middle of the startup ecosystem from 92 to 2012. And then through Rockies, where I met a lot of people that made a big difference. Uh, Eric Weissman hired me in my first professional job as CFO of Decisioneering, sort of a restart of a business that Roser Ventures had backed. He also then made me a VP of sales when I'd never even been a sales rep. And so that was a big help for me is I really wanted to be a CEO of a venture-backed business in Boulder, Colorado. I ended up then becoming a founder of Web Families backed by SQL Ventures and super thankful to Kenny Johnson to bet on a first-time founder. Uh, that didn't go very well for SQL economically, but they liked my process and they uh, kind of put me into Verisept, another one of their companies as CFO after my journey as a founder at Web Families. And then from Verisept, uh, Eric Weissman gave me sort of my third big opportunity was my first time being a CEO, which was back at the crystal ball business there at Decisioneering. And we grew that pretty nicely and uh, got another big break through, I think it was uh, Godfrey Sullivan. Uh, before he ran Splunk, he ran Hyperion. He bought our little business just as they were selling to Oracle. So I kind of rolled into Oracle through acquisition as a general manager of the enterprise performance management unit and the a GM of Crystal Ball, which is a, a long, complicated title. Sounds cool, though. Yeah. I mean, GM of Crystal Ball is a cool title. Yeah. And I got the intro to Godfrey through David Mall, who's a bolder startup person and met him at a conference up in Jackson Hole, you know, clear boondoggle. And so that's why I'm a big fan of boondoggles. So they have a lot of uh, optionality, which can work out quite well. But I, I quit Oracle after four years and went on sabbatical. And that's when uh, Brad reached out and said, hey, you know, quit doing that. And uh, have I got a deal for you? And that was Sengrid, which was about four blocks from my house. And it was well-funded and growing fast and a great team. And that seemed more fun than doing my sabbatical stuff. And so joined Sengrid. And it was awesome to really see how good a job Isaac and the founders did at getting product market fit right. Because I had never seen that in my life. And to experience that and feel such strong tailwinds was sort of a nice way to finish an operating career. And post-Sangrid, after that, which we'll talk about, the good exit there, yeah. become a, a limited partner with you and others here in town, mostly Denise and I back, first-time general partners. I, mean, I think we're, we're LPs to start up GPs. <laughs> Natty and Fletcher and Matt Blomstad come to mind, and we're on some boards, and 
or investors in some other companies that sort of in the SendGrid model, sort of developer first companies like Stream.io and Section.io. And to bring this full circle, uh, I agreed to teach the venture capital class at CU this fall. The one that's been taught in the last 11 years by Brad Bernthal and Jason, but we're going to run it over in the business school in the MBA program. And so I will get to inspire, you know, the next generation of hopefully, you know, students learning about VC in the school and think, wow, that sounds cool. I would like to do that. It's certainly been a great platform to have a, an interesting life. For everybody listening and, and sort of hearing some of this for the first time, this is to me a great story of sort of ecosystem build. Jim and Denise, really, you all epitomize the idea of, of Give First in the Techstars network, but many other networks. You give so much of your time to mentoring entrepreneurs, investing in first-time GPs like you're talking about. This is what builds startup communities, right? Is is people like you who are so giving with their time when you know you you could be hanging on a beach somewhere. You're you're enjoying giving back to the community, investing in the next generation through teaching, through your capital. It's just so, so cool to see it come full circle in this way. And I just think it's a great example for others to sort of hear how that has impact over time. I want to come back to a couple of things you all mentioned in your intros. I think it'd be really powerful. You know, SendGrid was in Techstars 2009 Accelerator Program in Boulder. My guess is, Jim, you first maybe met them in that context or right after that. But describe, however you'd like to, describe SendGrid when you joined it and then describe SendGrid when you both departed. Like, what was that ride like in, in terms of scale and metrics and you know, scope of the company throughout the ride that you were there? Denise, should start with that one because she was there first. <laughs> yeah, when I first met Isaac, I think it was just Isaac and the, his two other founders. And when I joined, it wasn't much bigger. So like I said, I think it was employee number five at the time that I was talking to Isaac about joining. It was at the same time that he was talking to Foundry about taking on a Series A. In fact, I remember being invited to a board dinner as I think part of my recruitment. And Brad was there talking to Isaac you know, about the Series A and I think trying to, to recruit me as well. And, and I remember him actually at dinner threatening me with a fork if I didn't join the company. And literally, it's just like probably the next week I started and I met Isaac at the Techstars, was it called the Bunker at that point when it was yes. in the basement of the Colorado building? And he's like, here's your laptop. I'll talk to you in a few days. I'm flying to California for a conference. I'm like, wait, wait, where are you going? He's like, oh, it's called TechCrunch Disrupt. And I'm like, I'm going to book a ticket. I'm going to come with you. And he's like, why would you do that? I'm like, that's what you hired me to do. And yeah, so the first few months, at least when I joined, it was, I mean, it was pretty chaotic. We didn't have an office. We just didn't have any infrastructure for actually scaling you know, a company. We needed an office. We needed benefits, all of that stuff. So a lot of my job was kind of focused on that as well as the go-to-market stuff. So I would say it probably took six months before I felt like I had my feet underneath me and kind of understood what the go-to-market plan should be. And we had enough of a, a foundation to, to start hiring different functions. And yeah, by the time I left in 2014, we were 250 employees total. My go-to-marketing team was probably 45. And yeah, I mean, it had just been a tremendous ride. Revenue was, I mean, $10,000 a month when I started and we were doing 43 million a year when I left, I believe. And yeah, it was fun. I think for me as, as a real true startup person, 
the day we got like badges to come into the office was sort of like the beginning of the end. <laughs> it always is, Denise. <laughs> it's always the beginning of the end when you get those stinking badges. Exactly. I was like, oh, I can't handle this now. I remember one of the foundational elements of the culture was humble. And I, I remember Isaac saying that when we got to a million in revenue, that we would have a huge celebration, a big dinner. And, you know, I asked him, what would that be like? And he said, well, it would be Subway. We would have a big party around it. It's like that that was the sort of essence of, of the culture right early on, I think. Absolutely. Yep. Jim, what, how would you describe your journey there? Yeah, I think uh, I came in as employee 25. Uh, my time at Rockies, we got to see and do a lot of things in some other companies. I think my sweet spot is sort of 10 to 100 people. I like kind of knowing everybody and sort of the impact that the company is making on their lives. And Sengrid scaled very quickly from the 25 to 250 people. It was time for me to move on. Revenue also was about $5 million uh, annualized to $50 million annualized. To Denise mentioned 43. That would be on a trailing 12-months gap basis. <laughs> no services, no acquisitions, right? Pure, clean, good margin recurring revenue. I said that a few times. But in the scale, it, we ended up sending 2% of global email, which is rather remarkable when you see all those business plans they said, if we only had 1% of the market, right, we'd be huge. Well, we actually had 2% of the market and turned into be quite a significant business. I think probably the two big things, one was really getting clarity on culture with the 4-H sort of culture value system that I created in 03 when I became CEO of Decisioneering, Honest, Hungry, Humble, Happy. That was really the extent of my due diligence on SendGrid was uh, talking to the board and the founders doing a 4 inch interview on them without them really knowing it and said, hey, I can work with these people and let's get to work. And I think the other key thing was bringing in Byron. We had unlimited access to capital through the generosity of Foundry Group and others, but we really looked at the business and we thought Sengrid's a unique business, sort of a mashup of Cornerstone On Demand and Twilio and Scott Petrie's business, which is escaping me. But Byron is in the middle of all three of those business, having been on the Cornerstone On Demand board and on the Twilio board and on Scott Petrie's board. And we thought that would be the perfect investor. And so I don't think our board was too happy about it. Our management team wasn't at all happy about it. But again, there's someone else in the community who I won't name, but a fellow CEO. I kind of explained to him the situation. He said, if you think you've got a shot on goal, like really having a national company, you know, you should take it. And I thought, yep, he's right. <laughs> we, we should do that and not just stay a Colorado company. My personal mission statement kind of shifted to creating Colorado success stories by connecting people, money, and knowledge. That's what I did at Rockies. When I ran Rockies, that became the Rockies mission. It's like creating Colorado success stories. And to me, like a national success story or a California success story, it's just a whole nother beast of you know stretching your brain around you know, how you think about a billion dollars or $4 billion or $40 billion. And I was very happy to have a Colorado success story. But bringing in Bessemer and Byron just was an unbelievable acceleration to put us on a national map and really create... Uh, the opportunity for the huge financial success that Sengrid ultimately became. So that's uh, Byron Dieter at, at Bessemer and totally agree. I mean, his sort of grasp of SaaS businesses, right? It really, really helped everybody, I think, uh, understand what the benchmarks were. And I think it was a really valuable part of that story. And yeah, Petrie's going to be pissed at everybody because I'm it's spacing the name too, but we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, so he'll get extra visibility from that startup. Denise, you had mentioned earlier uh, SketchUp and working there. And I want to tie it back into Jim's comments about you know trying to be helpful to Colorado. Brad's book, Startup Community Way with uh, Ian Hathaway, just came out. It talks a lot about building startup communities. I think SketchUp's a really important piece of the Boulder story. And you were there, so I, I need to ask about it. You know, when 
I talk about how Boulder was built as a startup community. I often talk about how all of the big companies are here now, right? Uh, Twitter, Google, Microsoft, others, Uber, right? And they're all because they acquired tiny little startups like SketchUp, which I think at the, at the peak SketchUp was 100 people, something like that. It wasn't a huge company, am I right? Right. Actually, I think we were probably like 60 Okay. So meaningful, but not a giant company that Google bought. It was a relatively small company. And that became the basis of the Boulder office. I had lots of friends that were working at SketchUp. I'm, I'm sure some that are in common with, with your friends. But stories like that are what build the community. So like from, from your perspective, today you have Google having, I don't know, thousands, many thousands of employees in Boulder and growing that. Boulder, for those that might not know, is only hundred. Ten or 120,000 people. So it's a meaningful part of our community because of a little startup called SketchUp, and that's what builds startup communities. So what was it like being a part of that and being bought by Google and having Google sort of build a presence around that team over, over time? Yeah, it's funny because in hindsight, it's like, yes, this is such a, an important block in this ecosystem. At the time I was there, I had zero clue that's what was happening for me. I was just sort of still early mid-career, just doing my thing, but sort of clueless to the whole community around me. I don't think I connected all those dots, honestly, until I got to Sengrid. But the early days of SketchUp, it was really, again, just super fun startup. We were a very scrappy company and we were in the CAD space, 3D design space, competing with giant companies like Autodesk and SolidWorks. And for me, part of what I love about being with a startup is being the underdog and taking on the giants in, in the ecosystem and disrupting those ecosystems. And we just had such a fun team. We had an innovative go-to-market model at the time. We were selling software over the internet. People had to download it. You know, we weren't like printing CDs. Well, we did some of that because some people demanded it, but we were trying to be innovative on the go-to-market side. And people just didn't buy software like that back then, which is funny to think about now. So as we, you know, got traction and success, certainly got the attention of the Autodesks and, and Google in particular. And it was exciting to be courted by Google. And, you know, until I realized it was just too big for me, fun to be a part of Google and, and going out to Mountain View, you know, the, the mothership and <laughs> more free skittles than I could eat and all the restaurants and the scooters and all of that was fun. Again, at the time, I didn't realize sort of what we were doing and, and kind of the impact we would have on the, the startup community, but it was a great experience. And we were talking earlier about kind of people who have given first to us in our, in our early careers. And our CEO, Mark Sawyer, was a huge influence, I would say, in, in my career. And he you know, took a chance on me as kind of a young manager. And one of the most important things he did for me in my career was invite me to present to the board and several of our board meetings. And just having that exposure to a board of directors was really career changing for me. And he didn't have to do that for me, but he did. And it was it was an amazing experience. To me, everyone that was involved in SketchUp is a, a part of what has made Colorado such a great startup community. And again, like you said, you don't know that's what's happening, right? But when you sort of look back at, at the story, everybody that was taking a chance on this little startup, the investors, the employees that took a chance to work there. And I had I think there were five Pinpoint Technologies employees. That was my first startup with David Brown that went to work at SketchUp. I remember Trisha Starr, Tosh Goliath, uh, Cindy Trelor. I'm, I'm forgetting a few. Some of those probably ring a bell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, it's so cool that those were the people that sort of created the thing that caused Google to buy the thing that caused Google to now have many thousands of jobs here in this community and be renting office space from the landlords in this community and contributing to the tax base and all that. And that, that's how these ecosystems are built. So really cool to see the impact startups like that can have. 
Yes. I want to circle back to maybe other stories. You know, this is all about Give First. You guys, as I said, epitomize it on the giving side, but love to hear more stories of maybe people like Mark that each of you have had in your career that maybe helped you and you had no idea why they were doing it and how that maybe became powerful, if anything comes to mind. I mean, the whole the whole idea is we're really a big believers in this idea of just being helpful to others and not expecting anything in return. But we always find that there are stories that are really powerful about how you do get something back from that type of activity. Anything like that come to mind from your earlier careers? For me, I got some good advice again from Eric Weissman. When I first became a, a CFO at 28 with a lot of academic experience, but no real world experience, he said, hey, you need to go meet with other people who have your job in a different company who are like 10 years older than you. And that's when I started doing my Cheesecake Factory lunches. And so literally thousands of them over a period of time. I was at least five or eight of those. I think in fact, we were 500 on Foursquare, you know, back the two years that we used that application. So think out of 20 years, it was, it was a lot. But when I became a CFO, I met with a variety of CFOs. I met with three at a time. I'd buy lunch. And I got to ask the first question. And I remember in particular, Elliot Cobb, who was the co-founder at eBags with John Nordmark. Uh, and he was plenty busy unwinding an angel round and bringing in Benchmark and running their own business to attend one of my lunches and you know help me because I was you know a year behind him basically in my startup with Web Families and just all that tactical stuff about how you actually launch a business was super helpful and I was very very grateful to him for doing that you know on the flip side I've helped a lot of people in a lot of ways but yeah I can't think like how it, it doesn't ever like connect around in a way that I've ever thought about it's always like I'm always sort of surprised when it says oh remember that time you introduced me to someone and actually raised money or I got that job or I'm like oh great and I'm like I'm not sure who this person is talking to me because I don't remember meeting them you know three five or ten years ago and I'm like well I'm glad that worked out Denise and I both received a note from a friend yesterday. He and his wife got their green card. And he wrote a long thank you note. And I thought, oh, it was Denise because she was on his board. And then, oh, it's like, uh, Jim, you helped us. I wrote a letter of recommendation for part of his immigration process, which I completely had forgotten about. But, you know, he remembered it and, and was thankful. And I think it's, you know, you just put a lot out there and then it sort of comes back to you. Call me and say with, you know, Brad calling about the Sengrid CEO job. You know, I never applied or asked for it, but it's like when you're a known quantity and you're, and people ask me that, how do you become a CEO? It's like hang around people who hire CEOs and how do you do that? Well, be helpful, right? And so how do you be helpful? So simple. You know, you have time, right? And so use your time with Denver Startup Week or Boulder Startup Week and those sorts of things. And if you're a CFO, you know, help someone navigate the PPP, right? Or whatever the issue of the day is that they're getting stuck on that you can be helpful or, or financial modeling, something I knew how to do in school. And so yeah, you kind of pay it forward and it comes back in lots of ways. Like how do we end up on boards? You know, people ask us, well, why do they ask us, right? We don't ask them because, you know, we're just known from being, being out there. And a person asked me like, how do I get on boards, you know, just this week? And I'm like, well... <laughs> It's kind of hard to answer. It's like, you don't ask, right? And so that's it's a little tricky uh, that way. And one of the opportunities came up recently because, you know, a friend of a friend that we worked with, you know, 15 years ago was like, hey, there's a startup. Would you mind talking to him? Uh, and we did. And then he's like, I've got an extra board seat if, you know, guys are interested. And we're like, well, you know. But yeah, it's just interesting how it comes around in a very indirect way. And I can't really say I've connected the dots where like, yeah, you kind of move with rock and then this other thing comes back to you later. Well, it's a network, right? I mean, you, you give to the system and the system is a complex system. It's not easy to see inputs and outputs and immediate effects, right? But it comes back to you from that network in other ways, usually not directly back from how you were helpful. That's sort of the mystery of the whole thing. In the early days, I was, uh, I think it was, you know, 
two notions. One, I feel like Denver's an island uh, and we're all kind of alone here. And if I help you run a business that's successful, it helps me because it just raises our profile. You know, we don't want a reputation that, you know, money goes to Colorado to die. We want a reputation that money goes to Colorado and turns into big buckets of money. And that goes back to wherever it, it came from. And that, that sense of an island is sort of helping each other. And that if you are in a startup, again, if you study these things in school, right, <laughs> the odds of failure are high, right? So you probably won't be doing the thing you do for very long, you know, maybe three, four years. And then you'll need something else to go do. And so I, I've thought about the uh, the metaphor of like uh, someone who's got a lot of plates spinning, like on their hands and their foot or whatever, and they're kind of balancing. And I felt like that's what I did in those early days as a CFO or VP of sales is I had my main job, but I had my fingers in five or 10 other things. You know, just if the main thing doesn't work out, then it's like, well, there's some plans, you know, B, C, D, and E. So I guess there's some hedging involved in some of that give first thinking. Denise, any other stories uh, rattling around uh, for you? Or Yeah, one other name for sure that jumps out. Andrew Curry, who was a the co-founder of email publishing slash message media, was, again, just one of these people similar to Mark that took time out of his life to help me and introduced me to a concept I'm sure wasn't new. It was new to me, which is just sort of create your own sort of board of directors as a person and lean on those people to help you navigate your way through through life and your career. And that was just, it was a really helpful perspective. So as I kind of moved from different positions, I sort of collected these people and they were incredibly helpful to me for, you know, each further step I took in my career. And so I didn't formalize it. It was very informal, but I kind of keep that in mind too when, when I'm helping people and, and always appreciate it when somebody circles back with me to follow up on something they asked me a year ago. It's just, yeah, the concept of your own personal board of directors. So I want to go back to one of your current activities and you said you're investing in funds and you're focused on Colorado, but I'm interested in the comment. You said, you know, we like to back first-time managers. That that would be, you know, if you talk to LPs, they would say, oh, no, 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 wait for Roman numeral number three or four on a fund. But you're you're getting in there early and, and thinking of yourself as almost the startup LP. Why have that focus? What's sort of the game plan around that? And how do you think about it? Because it's fun and interesting. Uh, you know, why are you around startups? Right? They appreciate it. They're working hard, right? Actually, David, you were one of the people that was very influential back in 09. My first LP investment was your first fund. And that worked out pretty well for all of us. And so maybe lightning will strike twice. But mostly, I think uh, Denise and I have to do is philanthropic angel investing. It's not really for economic returns. It'd be nice if it kind of breaks even over time. But it's really more about supporting and kind of voting for these founders, in the case founder of a VC firm, to kind of like wish them well. And to do what little we can to help sort of spark things in that right direction. And I think that the philosophical angel investing is sort of part of a larger philosophy of like pledge 10%. That if you're in that exited group of founders and executives, recycling 10% of your net proceeds back in the ecosystem, whether it's economically as an LP or investing in startups with that first check in, where you're really not expecting an economic return because the risk is just so high, or whether it's straight up donations to entities that help support the ecosystem, that's all very helpful. If you're a Series B or later founder or executive, you can pay it forward in a very important way, especially if you've been acquired by a large company. So when I was acquired by 
Oracle, I had a checkbook. And so I could buy purchase orders to local companies, sponsor things. I think it almost might have become a little bit of a joke that you know, everyone who left Colorado to go to San Francisco to pitch had Oracle on their slide deck as a customer because we'd say yes to anything. If you're a Colorado-based startup and you had some HR tech or sales you know, enablement tech or whatever it was, we'd, we'd buy it. It'd be your logo. And likewise, at Sangrid, as a Series B, plenty of cash wasn't the issue. And so when Denver Startup Week started, we were the first title sponsor putting in 20K to help get that launched. Uh, when Galvanize very first started, we sponsored a scholarship so that underrepresented people could uh, attend that program and have a real life-changing experience. So there's a lot of ways to pay it forward when you're operationally involved in the ecosystem and then certainly in your post-operational phase. So Brad, uh, my co-host, has often used the term for-profit philanthropy. And I think that those funds that you're investing in, as, as one example, honestly could do very well, right? The first fund we ever created was the smallest fund we ever created. And it was the biggest multiple that we're likely to ever see, right? Because, you know, it had enough positions and it was in early enough that the result could really be crazy. So you, I think, will have some good outcomes with that activity, too. And you think of it as it's okay if it's philanthropy, but it's hopefully for profit too, which allows you to do even more with that capital over time. So another great example of building the community with thoughtful approaches. We have a part of the show we'd like to call rapid fire and you guys can both chime in on any of these you feel like it, but looking for maybe 30 seconds or less quick answers to a few things. If you have them, if not, just say pass. It's like a game show. It's really fun. Is there a book that you've read recently that you think anybody involved in entrepreneurship should check out? White Fragility. Great. How about a nonprofit that you think everybody should go and look at that you think is really impactful? Project Vets. It's Project uh, Veterinarian Equipment, Technology, and Supplies. It's about basically taking unused medical equipment and recycling that, distributing it globally to nonprofits that focus on animal welfare, which in turn helps human welfare when animals get rabies shots and that sort of thing um, and prevents a lot of stuff going into the landfill. ACLU. ACLU. Got it. We're going to put these in the show notes too with links for people. So it's easy for you to check out and maybe think about giving first uh, to those organizations. How about a place that each of you has visited that you think everybody should visit before they die? Just one? Oh my gosh. You can give me as many as you want, but you got 30 seconds rapid fire. Full day in the Grand Canyon, rim to river and back. It's a great day. I'll just say the obvious Paris, London. <laughs> Nantucket, <laughs> Costa Rica, Jackson, Croatia, Sundance, <laughs> Santa Okay, this, this is not a hard question for you all. <laughs> Boulder, Chautauqua. <laughs> Have you come across a startup lately that you think is really cool that you might want to promote a little bit? I think Stream.io is hitting their stride. It's developer services, both chat and feeds as a service. In the Techstars portfolio. Love that yes. company. Mm -hmm. uh, doing great and growing like crazy. Verblio, it's a marketplace for writers and people who need content. Really great distributed company focused mostly on agencies who need to expand their writing abilities. Well, uh, thank you both for joining us. You know, I think that, as I mentioned a couple of times on the show, you two are a huge part of so many things that are so incredible. And I think one of those is the Colorado story. I think in 10, 20, 30 years, and people look back on how the Colorado ecosystem is thriving, they'll invoke your names. I'll be pretty sure that that will happen. And I just want to say thanks for that on behalf of everybody here. And thinking about your incredibly important role in growing the SendGrid story and the first ever IPO out of any accelerator anywhere, right? Um, what a cool thing to 
to sort of be, you know, have such a hand in building. And that obviously helps the Techstars ecosystem. It helps us do more to help entrepreneurs succeed around the world. So really was excited to do this show, really excited to talk about the things that you all have done. And just on behalf of everybody listening, a huge thank you for everything that you do for the startup community, not just here, but around the world. Thanks for having us. Yes, this was fun. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, or who you'd like to hear next on Give First. And please leave a rating and review, ideally a good one, and reach out anytime to podcasts at techstars.com or on Twitter, I'm at David Cohen. See you next time. Don't forget, Give First. First.